Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. This particular passage we're taking a look at here of uh, Beshelach, one of the reasons why we went over a number of these particular passages, we went over not only just uh, of Beshelach, its section itself of uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, and going all the way through chapter 17, but we picked up a number of these passages here from the apostolic writings here from these Passages of the Yeshua walking on the water from Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. And then we picked up this long section in John chapter 6, which is talking about bread and very um, completely non-coincidentally starts with the feeding of the 5,000 and then goes into a discussion about manna. Uh, it's not coincidental whatsoever that those are in there together. And then you see the discussion that the Apostle Paul has in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he's riffing on the experience of Israel in the wilderness and uh, the Exodus and the Red Sea crossing. And also, you see in this passage that we just got done reading with Hebrews chapter 3 and going into chapter 4 to set up this discussion of the great high priest that starts with the last half of chapter four of Hebrews and continues on. There's this continual riffing back and forth and quotations from Psalm 95 when he says, I swore my anger, you will not enter my rest. And that's when you go back and you look at Psalm 95, that is referring to what we just read in Exodus 17 about this incident of the um, problem with the water. So you have bread and water, bread and water, bread that came down from heaven, living water, living bread. And that is what we just read about in John chapter six. So when we look at this, we see that there are some really big questions that we should be asking ourselves in this particular passage in Exodus chapter. Uh, chapter 13 through 17 that also is reflected on in the passages we just read. The big question is, is God with us or not? Is he Emmanuel? Is he God with us? And not coincidentally, you see that show up in the first few verses of the book of Lamentations because you see that riffing back onto the experience of Israel being taken out of Egypt. And when you go back and you see the reference to, this is a reference to the destruction of Yerushalayim. Who was the king who got the prophecy of Emmanuel originally? It was a one of the kings Ahaz, and then when he got that prophecy, what was that to do? When he would grow up, he was to name this son Emmanuel. And when he would grow up, and about the time he would know right from wrong, so you're talking in the in the early in the early teen years, he would then uh, this would be coming about the deliverance of Israel. Well, what did Ahaz actually do is like okay your deliverance was going to come from Ashur or Assyria well he said oh well I'm going to go help God out so he went and formed a <laughs> alliance with Assyria well what did that end up doing it just ended up enslaving Assyria didn't stop with the northern kingdom it came down for the southern kingdom eventually and led to the Babylonians. First took out the northern kingdom and then down and led to 
what you see later on with Hezekiah. Now, one of the interesting things that's debated over time is Ahaz got so desperate over time that he not only started forming alliances with his enemies, he started actually worshiping the gods of his enemies. And he brought in the gods of Aram. And then he started passing his children through the fire to the god of Aram. So a lot of people wonder, did the one that was called Emmanuel go into the fire as well? Did he send the one who was supposed to be this great message, hey, God is with you, did he send him into the fire? But one that escaped the fire ended up being, you know, the what we call Hezekiah. And the king Hezekiah got the reprieve. But the reprieve also brought in the second conqueror, destroyer, into Israel. So it all goes back to what we just looked at in Exodus chapter 17 with this question, is God with us or not? Is God among us or not? This great promise that, hey, I will be with you, what actual fruition did it come to? So the secondary questions that we have in this passage, you know, are we really free? When are we going? When are we going to get going to the place of freedom? And how will we get our daily bread? And where will we find this living water on our journey out? Now, that's the same questions that could be asked of that generation as could be asked of our generation as well. Remember, we were talking about how the exodus from Egypt is something that each one of us goes through. Each one of us is in a bondage to something. In the beginning, talking about being in bondage to sin, which is sin is lawlessness, sin is being apart from the ways of God. So each one of us starts out with being in bondage to a way of life that is apart from God. God calls out to each of us. God calls us. So when we are called out, just like it says there in Hosea, out of Mitzrayim I have called my son. Now, that then has the double meaning. The firstborn being Israel, but also the firstborn of God, the only begotten son of the father. That also called out of Mitzrayim. And you see the fulfillment of that in the Gospels. So what you see going on here is that out of Mitzrayim, out of this place of bondage, the firstborn of God is called. So we get called out. Will we go? Will we see that, just as we read in the last Torah portion, the call goes out at our midnight. Will you go? Or phrase it a different way. You're leaving today. The day is called today when you are going. Are you getting out now? Or are you going to linger about and dream about those great flesh pots and with the wonderful life that you had in the bondage to the previous way of life? Well, are we going to go? Or when we go, are we still have a big chain that extends behind us? going back to, or another way you could put it, to an umbilical cord that goes all the way back to our mother. <laughs> got your moving truck. <laughs> yes. So we see that, you know, these, these questions that each one of us face, that you are in bondage, you are freed from bondage. Well, what are you going to go? Are you just going to be wandering around in the wilderness? Or is it that the Lord has a specific place for you to go? And is the Lord actually going to defeat 
the adversary that is after you, that is pursuing you? Is he going to defeat it? And we saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, very interesting aspect of it is he will provide a way of escape. Yeehaw, we have a way of escape. But what, what does it go on to say? A way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. You may be able to endure it. So that way of escape, a lot of people think, oh, well, this is just, I'm going to be removed from the situation. No more temptation anymore. No. It is you, your way of escape is you will be able to endure it. You will be able to endure whatever temptation or trial comes upon you. And we've been reading about this. And the Apostle Yaakov in his first chapter, letter of James, talks all about that. that and you see in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the messages that go to those seven congregations, to the one who endures to the end, to the one who stands, he will get the crown. Uh, yes, um, Ben and I has got a question or a comment here. So I was wondering, you know, as the parable is about how, you know, we're being led out, from, I guess, maybe Babylon or exile, just as the children of Egypt were let out, the parallels of that. Mm, yes. Um, I was thinking about how many are called, but few are chosen. And I was, I was wondering about that, about how um, the cares of this world and our journey out um, sometimes, sometimes can choke us out. But yes. we have to remain faithful to God's promises. If we remain faithful to God's ways, <laughs> then he's faithful to bring us out. Let uh, Caleb and the yeah. Joshua. Yeah, Joshua. Yeah, yeah they, Joshua. They, they remain faithful to God's promise. You see, when all the others begin to grumble and, and, and to be dismayed by the things of this world and we're being choked out, uh, they, they had started their journey of sanctification. They had, uh, maybe I'm wrong, they, they started that. But Caleb and, and Joshua, they held true to the promises of God. They remained faithful to the Lord, and, and they, they were chosen. Yeah. Um, so just, just like those two in their generation, the two among the ten, other than the other ten spies, they didn't, to put it into the context of another passage we just read, they didn't see the wind and the waves and freak out. They kept their eyes on their Savior. So, okay. yes. So that, that's why the, the passage there of the um, Yeshua walking on the water and, you know, Kepha getting out of the boat. And those who endure to the end. Yeah, those, you know, those who the, keep their yes. eyes, their focus yes. on their source of help. Yes. You know, just like Psalm 121. Yes. I look to the hills. That's from where my help does come from. That's right. My amen. help comes from the, from the Lord. Lord. That's right. The creator of heaven and earth. Amen. So, amen. Yes, Alex, a question or a comment over here. Being enslaved was not yeah, necessarily going to be an issue. It was <laughs> yeah. all the other stuff. Giants, yeah. greed, multiple gods. But the, the enslavement was behind them for the time being. The yes. other big baddies were going to enslave late at a later date, but yeah. that's another story. So basically, the once they're out of enslavement, now you're on your own, and you better rely on me. So uh, again, imprisonment was uh, enslavement wasn't a problem. Yeah. Well, it's one of those other questions you might have is that um, what is the actual enslavement? And as you see, we continue on with the Exodus story. Um, chains weren't all of the bondage. You know, their, their hearts was still in Mitzrayim. And that didn't leave with them. And so they had to be brought. And so you see that when we, get, when we finally get down into the book of Devarim or Deuteronomy, you will see that it's like you've got to make a choice. Choose life, choose death. Stop wavering between these two opinions, just like what the prophet Eliyahu says. Hey, stop wavering between these two opinions. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal, etc., is, then serve them. Yes. So 
stop getting um, tossed back and forth and not being able to really see what is truly happening here. Yeah, I mean. So one of the uh, key things that we'll be taking a look at here um, in this particular passage is really a kind of the overview. We've got those big questions, you know, where are we going? And this, a very important thing that you get out of this particular whole Exodus story is you are leaving your house of bondage to go somewhere. You know, you, you see the Pharaoh got to say, hey, they're just wandering around in the wilderness. Well, there was a destination that they were going to. You were freed out of the house of bondage. Your adversary pursuing you is dealt with. Then you go where? And that is where we see in our next Torah reading where that destination is talked about. They go to the mountain. And we see that in the Song of Moshe, the Song of the Sea as it's called you see that there was a deliverance out of the house of bondage to go somewhere and go to the mountain. And the mountain is where you see the Lord is revealed. Because you see, when you roll the, the tape back, Moshe has the revelation of the Lord, and he says, now bring him back to this mountain. You've now experienced who the lord actually is so now bring the people back here so they can understand who the lord actually is and you see those 10 statements that we'll see in the next torah passage that are recorded in exodus chapter 20 that these 10 statements of what the lord's character is both not coincidentally enough what does the Lord's prayer say? Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And as we'll see, that's the encompassment of the Ten Commandments. On earth and heaven. Things that are done on earth, we call that the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first greatest commandment. Things, the will of the Lord in heaven is how you relate to God. And where do you put, do you put the creator of heaven and earth? Among a pantheon? Or is the only occupant of your heart? So this is a, a key question that we see. And when we go into Exodus 14, we see with this question, the primary question, is the Lord with us or not? And the secondary question, are we free from the previous way of life? And we see that following after the Lord's salvation, following after the Lord's salvation will deliver you and block the oppressing forces that are against you. We saw that with the Pesach, the Passover, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. That blood blocks the destroyer. So how much more then is the blood of the Mashiach to block the wrath of God against the occupants of the house, so to speak, the ones who have the blood of the Mashiach upon the doorposts of their heart? How much more will that block the wrath of God? So that, you know, you see it recorded and in the near the and um, what is it that's Exodus uh, at uh, Hebrews nine and ten where it talks about how the blood of the Messiah allows us to approach the presence of the Lord with confidence, not arrogance, but confidence, because we know who really did the work and who really is worthy to be in the Lord's presence and why we can be counted in that number because of who the Mashiach is and because of the revealed character of the Lord, that 
He wants us to be in his presence, and he wants to transform us, to be different from where we were before, different from who we were before, to be completely transformed in this. So one of the key things that you see in Exodus uh, chapter, chapter 14, the key passage that is in Exodus 14, 12, when they were saying, well, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. They're facing a pursuer. So, like what the Apostle Paul is talking about, when this temptation comes upon you, what do you do? Do you fold? Just say, hey, it would have been better to go back to our old way of life. <laughs> you run. And one of the things that you, <laughs> when you see in Exodus 14, verses 13 to 14, when it continues on, you see that the instruction to the people is to stand by and watch. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. That sounds a lot like what happens when Yom Kippur comes around. We read about in Leviticus 16. The high priest is hard at work there by himself in the tabernacle, covering over sins, transgressions, and iniquities. Everyone else is humbling themselves. Yes, Alex. Yeah, uh, it's interesting back in the end of uh, Exodus 16, um, how long were you refused to observe my uh, commandments uh, or teachings? Um, so the, the Shabbat is, day of rest is emphasized from Genesis again now. This, that's something that's brought on early. Yes. But I'm not too sure how many teachings they had prior to the mountain. But uh, I, apparently I, there was some. It was probably more verbal. Kind of the way yeah, the rabbis teachings did. prior prior to the mountain. Well, it's it's one of those things that um, Moshe was recording this stuff from from Genesis from somewhere. So from somewhere they got the account that was preserved down to them of Genesis. Stone. It was not written in stone. Excuse right. the pun. Not or not stones. not written in stone, but. The account of Genesis was there. In Genesis chapter 2, it's like you got the account of the creation. So that was there. It just now needs to get connected, or you could say reconnected, to reboot basically the people of God to say, okay, this is, we're getting back to the flow of things as they was sort of back in Eden. And that the getting back to Eden is really what the, the whole um, history of God that you see recorded in the Bible is all about, moving things back toward Eden. You see the tree of life in Genesis. You see the tree of life in Revelation. You see the tree of life in Ezekiel as he's looking toward this renewed city of God, the renewed temple of God. So, am I, oh, sorry, Ben and I, yes, go ahead, please. Uh, I, w I was thinking about uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, you know, being on the, cry on the cross and how, um, how he was silent like a lamb before his shears. Yes. Know, and how he, how there was just so much chaos around him and anger and just hate and malice, um, the armies of this world. Uh, the spiritual principalities thinking that, you know, they had conquered their means, but it reminds me of that, you know, lo and behold, the Lamb of God, our salvation, you know, and how he was silent and how he accomplished that, you know, for us, you know, that he is our salvation and how we're talking about here about, you know, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Yes. And how he embodied literally, literally uh, our wretched spiritual condition that basically through him that we could be cleansed and made a new creation that he that he did that for us and how just all the beautiful pictures you know through the wilderness that led up to you know that that pinnacle point where he embodied uh, in, a, in a fleshly form and took upon himself and set us free and then to say it is finished i just uh thought that was a beautiful 
That was beautiful. Yes. Yeah. In, indeed. So thus you, you keep seeing these revelations of what the character of God is like. So thus, when you, when you see like in Hebrews chapter 1, when it's talking about that Yeshua is a direct representation of the Father, thus you can see, hey, truly, yes, if you have seen him, you have seen the Father. And thus, when you are looking through the Word, you will see the revelation of the Word in the Word, <laughs> the Word made flesh. Yes. So we see like in Exodus 15 with the song that you'll bring them and plant them back into this mountain, this unique mountain. Now, in times past, we've talked before that looking under the hood historically, there is a battle between, between deities here. In the land that they were going into, the land of Canaan, they're very well known, and they've found copies of it in recent years, the, the Baal cycle of their mythologies of the battles between uh, their chief deities. Now, when you see and you compare what is in the Song of the Sea versus the, uh, the epic of Baal, or the Baal cycle, you see that there is no comparison whatsoever. This is not some sort of bolt-on that Israel took the stuff from the epic of Baal and copied and pasted it, so to speak, into the Bible. This is a revelation of the creator of heaven and earth quite different from the gods of the nations. For example, Hashem has no equals, and Hashem created the waters versus Baal and Yam, Yam are equals. They are seen as forces. It's kind of more expressed in, in religions like Zoroastrianism, where you have the light and the darkness, and they battle against each other until you can sort of meet a uh, detente, you might say. And in Eastern religions, they have the idea of the yin and the yang and the, the light and the darkness forces balancing each other and almost need each other to a certain degree. But you see... Also, that in the Song of the Sea, the Lord uses the sea. He blows open the sea. Versus in the epic, you see that Baal is fighting the sea. That it's an adversary. And then in the Song of the Sea, you see that the Lord is defeating Mitzrayim by using the waters. But in the epic of Baal, you see that Baal defeats the sea, Yam, the, the sea uh, deity, and takes over his holding. So it's just like a conquering effect. And then you also see that in the Song of the Sea, that the Lord frees Israel from bondage and brings them to Mount Sinai. Versus in the Epic of Baal, you see that Baal subjugates the peoples from, you should recognize this term, Tzaphon. Baal Tzaphon. Where was, they talked about that the crossing was happening in the face of or in front of Baal Tzaphon. So this account of the crossing, it's no wonder that when the, uh, you see in, in uh, Joshua that when they get to Jericho, when they get to Jericho, oh yeah, they've heard of, they've heard of the Lord and what the Lord did in the sea. Because the Lord not only did a broadside against all the gods of Egypt, but with the sea crossing, he did a broadside against the gods of Canaan too. So in this whole account, he is laying waste to those so-called gods of both Egypt and uh, Canaan. Yes, Piran. Uh, I have a question about the yes. 400 years that they were enslaved. Did they have liberty to keep the Sabbath? That's always a good question, and I, people have taken great stabs at that as to did they keep it or not. Don't know. I mean, there are ideas that they kept it. Some, some say they forgot it and had to be reeducated about it. Well, that's, that's what I was uh, saying earlier, that the account of what we call Genesis came from somewhere, 
and was preserved down through time. So they at least knew that at the end of the seven days of creation, there was this thing that the Lord did of Shabbat. Now, did they know what that meant? When you see like Exodus 16, you see, bah, I guess they really didn't to a great degree. But then again, it says that some people went out. So did some trust the Lord? Obviously, some were. Yes, always, always, always keep a remnant. Some people uh, not getting with the program. You see the same thing with later on when we see the person who went out and uh, was gathering firewood on Shabbat. And most people got it. Some people, uh, in that case, it talks about that incident with a high hand. So he was purposely going out after firewood. So it's even creating the golden calf. It was more like what they knew from Egypt. Yes, it was. That's right. They kept kept that in their baggage too. They took some of the 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 in their heart was the gods of Egypt as well. They may have defeated them back there to um, get reprieve out of bondage, but they took in their heart the uh, gods of Egypt. You you almost you you bring up a very interesting point because where do you also see that kind of a thing where the people are moving to a new people, a new way of life, yet they bring the gods with them. Does that remind you of something? <laughs> Abraham. And then you see brought the gods with them, but then also later on, remember the whole thing of the gods being stored in her uh, camel's sack? Yes, Rachel. You see that that kind of a thing, there was a weaning that had to happen of the pull of those gods, even though that was seemed like family tradition. Uh, yes, that's that's what we're referring to. Yes, that's that's it's a, it's a case where these people came out of the nations, but they brought some of it with them. Now you see some specific breaks that happened with, like you know, you see like with. Ruth, uh, that's just making a clear break of the past. You know, your God is my God, your people, my people. Clean break. And you see Rahab seems to do that the same way in making a clean break. And thus you can see like with Rahab, hey, in the lineage of the Mashiach. To talk about grafted in, that's, that's <laughs> it's about as grafted in as you could get to be in the lineage of the Messiah. Yes, uh, Deborah. Oh, oh I, I just wanted to say, thank God that these experiences have been written down for us because, well, pretty much we're left without any excuse, <laughs> which <laughs> yes. is difficult because yeah. we have all these stories, all these reports, all this stuff. You know, it's like sometimes I think it's good to know, but then yet on the other hand, then God, you will be left without an excuse of why it is we're behaving in such a way. Yeah. Um, all right. Yes, uh, Sean. Uh, I guess just since... Uh, researching Jonathan Kahn's Return of the Gods, this is one of the things I was thinking back then, even though they were brought out of that physical area of bondage, some of those spirits had to stay with them and leached onto them on the other side of the Red Sea. Yeah. I mean... But, but the point is, is that, you know, um, they are there only if you let them stay there. If you don't, as Yeshua says, you don't throw them out and fill the space with something, as he tells the parable of that uh, person at a house and with the evil spirits in it, threw them out, didn't refill them, and it came back in, and came in much stronger power with that. So um, in, you could say, popular mythology, they, they sort of treat the kingdom of God as being a bit like a slot machine. Where you just you know pull the handle and out come the blessings. You you uh, do the right incantation and then you can have mastery over this and that or the other. Whether you believe in God or not, it's just magic. Uh, no, you're not. This is not like any of the nations where you have uh, this sort of power that you can just uh, trick or cajole, bribe, and get the blessings of it. Because you see the similar thing happen. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, that's often quoted in the body of Messiah as being an example, hey, God is done with the ways of the Torah. 
But what was the real issue when you read the entire book of Isaiah? God was done with the ways of the Torah that are left outside of you, left outside of your heart. But with the new covenant, that is, the laws of God are written upon your heart. You are given a new heart, and the Spirit of God is put within you. So thus, then, when you see as Isaiah progresses, we, we read it every week from Isaiah 58. That's the transformation of the heart. You've gone from, I hate your festivals, chapter 1, to Isaiah 58. Call the Sabbath a delight. What's changed? The people have changed. Their hearts have changed. The Spirit of God is now moving through them. So one of the things that uh, we'll get to in this particular passage as we look at uh, the chapter 16, we would get back to this question or not about is God with us or not, and how do we get our daily bread? Now with this, we get some very important lessons that come down to us. Again, with a as we see in John chapter 6, it is a call of a chomer, a light in heavy. If you understand the lesson of Exodus chapter 16 and the manna and the people getting the manna, if you understand that, the bread that came down from heaven, how much more is the word made flesh, the true bread that came down from heaven? This is bread that... When you eat of it, when you take it in, you're not going to be hungry again, just like what Yeshua was saying in John 6. They ate the bread. And just like what we read there in Hebrews 3 and 4, it's like they did not combine it with what? Trust. Yeah, they didn't combine it with faith. Trust in the Lord. They ate the bread, but they did not combine it with trust that their daily bread provider was the same one that when you get down to the days of you know Caleb and Joshua, and they're saying, hey, the Lord's got this. We can go in. But then 10 other spy, spies say, no, wall's too big, people too big. We can't do it. So that same trust in the one who provides daily bread, that trust is he will also provide you with the land that he's promised to give you. Because what is it? He says, I'm going to give you bread six days. And on the sixth day, I'm going to give you double to last you through. So he promised that, and it what? Six days. Stop. Six days. Stop. Forty years. So if it was that dependable, could you not then depend upon the one who gave you the daily bread and then take you into the land, take you into the land that he promised also? Uh, yes, Larry, you have a, a comment or a question over there. We can't do this. Yes. Joshua didn't say we could do it. He said yeah. God's going to do it for us. That's right. He's with us. He's going to do it. Yeah. No, we can't do this. You're yeah. right. Yeah, he and, can. and it was it was quickly proved that they couldn't do it because they got their hat handed to them when they tried to do it themselves. Yes. So yes, in, indeed, that was that was a, definitely a lesson that yes, on your own, um, yeah, you you can't do it. In fact, and it was it was such a great lesson too because when you see. The small, uh, a lot of people have um, seen the account there and go, how, how could they run and flee when only just a few people were um, casualties of that foolish uh, attempted an invasion of Canaan? Just a few people, and then they went running. Well, that was a good sore lesson to the people that, hey, Unlike what you see at the end of Deuteronomy when he says, hey, people will be fleeing in droves ahead of you. One will send many to fleeing. 
Well, in that case, one injured from Israel sent many fleeing because the Lord was not with them. And that was the, the warning. They were saying, hey, don't go up because the Lord is not with you on this. So it was like, is the Lord with us? I don't think he's with us because we can't go in and fight these giants. And they're like, okay, you can't go in. Well, now let's go. And they're like, don't go because the Lord is not with you. And yes, indeed. They, what, what is the term for that? Self-fulfilling prophecy, yes. <laughs> indeed. So one of the things of the lessons of manna is that you know, we, <laughs> what we need may not be what we want. Because you see that also um, with this in incredible, interesting case that you see actually fleshed out more when you get into the book of Numbers with the incident with the quail, is that, you know, what was one of the great travesties that came with the plague of quail? Well, yeah, they, it was the plague that came with it, but they're like, give us meat to eat because... We're sick of what? Manna. We're sick of the daily bread. Oh, please, stop sending us daily bread here in the middle of the wilderness with no uh, 7-Elevens or Costco's around. So we're in the middle of nowhere, and he's sending daily bread. And stop sending it, because we don't like it. It's not interesting. So... One of the things that you see that our counter is just, can be just like the Messiah's counter to the adversary is that, hey, when the adversary is telling us, hey, you can, you can pick something else, some other source of help. Well, no, you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which is a quotation there, as we'll see later on, and gets to from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Now, one of the aspects that we also uh, see in this as we kind of round things out in Exodus chapter 17, and Exodus chapter 17 is why we read that long passage from Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And as they were making the astute uh, observations here, that this talk about Sabbath and there is a Shabbat rest for the people of God and the called today, enter the rest. It gives us a, a great picture of what the original event was that we read about in Exodus chapter 17. Again, the question, is God with us or not? It's kind of how that passage uh, ends out in Exodus 17 with the incident of the water. So, questions, living water, and who fights for you? So we see in this particular picture that Israel had seen the plagues. They had seen the ten plagues. Israel had also witnessed the salvation of God from the Egyptian army. Because in the account that we read today, what were the two, the two stage salvation that happened at the sea? Blocking the army and then opening the water. And then I guess you might say third stage is closing the water behind them. But that, they witnessed this pillar of fire that was blocking the army of the superpower of the time period and opened the sea behind them. So they weren't trapped, even though to the outside it seemed like the dumbest strategic move you might ever make to back yourself up to the sea. It's like, no problem. The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the seas and everything that is in them, just opened up the sea. And the people went through. And then also then released the pillar of fire. Now at that point, 
I mean, just, you know, think about we've all seen the various renditions of this. And I've always wondered, why would the army ever go in? You know, you're, you're thinking this is a, in a time where people believed in, in uh, the effects and powers of the supernatural more than we do today. We're always looking for some sort of a rational explanation for something. But if you see a pillar of fire, and then the sea is opened up. You're like, okay, seems like something more is at work here than, <laughs> than your usual military campaign. And something's more at work. Then when the pillar of fire is now removed from them, why would you charge then right headlong into that? As usual, the general said, do it. Yes. And we've seen examples of that in recent history. Um, I mean, one of the most gruesome examples of that is World War I, where it was just command to charge after command to charge after command to charge, and it was just disastrous. It destroyed an entire generation of Europe's um, people in both Germany and France and in England. Yes. The idolatry. The idolatry of self. What, um, what, what do you mean by the idolatry of self? Okay, so they thought that it was open. Yeah, now, now we can do this. Oh, this is cool. It's all open now. I can catch them easy now. Ah. Oh, but they, they weren't counting on the power of God. Yes. Because they, they were suffering from idolatry of self. Yes. And, you know, you, you bring up a very interesting point, and uh, some have speculated over, idolatry over the... Idolatry begins with the letter I, you know. <laughs> yes, idolatry begins with the letter I. That's, that's a great point. Uh, people have brought up that, um, indeed, it could have been that they thought, now the gods are working for us. They've trapped them in this, and so now we can go chase them. So um, that's one of the thoughts, but... Again, it's probably more down to hubris than anything else. Yes, uh, Sean. I don't think there's anything new when someone comes to the enemy. When he's ticked off and on a mission, it's just focused. I'm going to get him. It doesn't matter the results. You bring up a very interesting point. I can't believe I completely forgot about that because it's something also that mystifies me. Where else do we see that kind of hubris in the Bible? Revelation. Why is it that when you have at the end of the thousand years, why would you attack the city? I mean, you would think that is one of the most craziest ideas anyone could come up with. But again, that might be a similar thing. Why? As to, uh, like with the Egyptian army going in, when you, could, you should be getting the, the, the clue here that uh, there is a far bigger power that not only crushed Egypt with the plagues, but also was blocking the army with the fire and opened the sea. You'd, you would think with all of that that you would get the message that uh, the gods of Mitzrayim are not in charge here. Uh, yes, uh, Sean. Yeah, you have to spur in the past. A, mm. Get into a fight. It's like, you know, I know you may, may take me down, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a chunk of you first. <laughs> You're going to get a chunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, a, that's a good point as well. Uh, Larry, you have a comment or a question over there. God. Yes, Pharaoh is their God. And Satan will be their God when he's left out of the pit to lead yes. them against unwalled cities, right? Yeah. So, so it, it, you bring up a very interesting point because when it talks about who, you got the, the folks that are thrown into the lake of fire first. Beast, false prophet, false prophet. Yes. And the adversary thrown in. So you see that you have, we, we call it, charismatic leaders that are uh, getting sway of the people. So yeah, that's, that, you bring up a very good point there, that that could just then, like what we saw with the Egyptian army, uh, send people headlong into the city of God, where how could you possibly think that you could do anything about that? It's our God against the God of the puny Hebrews. But yes. they, should, they should have remembered a few days earlier when they just when he had already destroyed the whole Pharaoh's whole nation. Yeah. But apparently very, very short. Very short memory. Yes. Temporary. Temporary bad luck. Uh, yes, Ben and I have got a, a question or a comment there. <clears throat> I just, uh, it was a thought about how uh, Yeshua was, uh, 
I think it was Yeshua, where he talks about them proselytizing and making twice the sons of Satan. Yes. And I just think about, I, I'm not trying to bash on uh, evangelicals. I mean, um, I, th I think that there are some, you know, in certain camps that, that do know the Lord, they're just deceived by wrong doctrines. Uh, but uh, I do see that, you know, how the Pharisees were then, there are so many of them today in, in movements, you know, where basically they are doing the same. They're proselytizing and making sons of Satan. And basically, uh, their father is not our father in heaven who's kind and compassionate and loving. His son is Yeshua, but, you know, it's a counterfeit. You know, what they, what they worship is a counterfeit. Uh, like, you know, you're talking about the false prophet in Revelation. You know, those that are doing these false signs and wonders that talks about, you know, how they'll uh, call fire down from heaven and people, you know, they're looking for a sign. It's the evil and wicked generation that look for a sign because they're taking their eyes off the Lord and they're not, they're not looking towards the one that saves and redeems and that gives you what they need. They're looking for the one that's going to give them what they want. Mm. And I think that that's really important, that distinction. Because he gives us our needs. It says, first seek ye the kingdom, and, and all these things will be added unto you. But when we take our eyes off the kingdom, off of him, at, for anything at all, even if it seems right in our own eyes. Because it says, the ways of a man seem right, but the end thereof is death. Mm. man's see what seems right to a man yes okay but the end there of his death. Ways is death yes yes and so i just uh that was just something that was in my heart i want to share it because i thought it was in conjunction with what was being discussed yeah and in, indeed thank you all right well that brings us to the end of our discussion here today i hope what what you can see here is that this theme of the exodus the crossing of the sea is hugely important and gets reflected on throughout scripture a lot and with hebrews you see that that reflection of tying together the trust that is involved with the exodus and trusting upon the lord trusting upon the lord trusting upon the lord and you see also that how that's tied together with a symbol of the trust of the lord and that is shabbat because all of us have encountered that whole thing of are we going to go with what's easier in a society that largely doesn't respect shabbat or say okay i'm going to trust in you and go in that direction of it but in the end what is the shabbat really uh pointing toward as a you could say, as a great message to us. The Shabbat rest is really a memorial of a lot of things, a lot of things stacked upon each other. So each Shabbat, you're, it's a memorial of the God is the creator of heaven and earth. God is the creator of Israel through Abraham. God is a provider of our daily needs, the daily bread. God is a liberator from slavery because that's actually in Exodus. You see that the Shabbat will be a sign that I am the one who does what? Makes you holy. Not you're great and holy because of yourself, but the Lord is the one who makes you holy. And that is a part of what Shabbat is a sign of. And that the Messiah is the healer of the body and the heart's connection to God that when you see that in the New Covenant prophecy. And the Messiah is the ultimate high priest of Israel. And that, because remember the root word for Shabbat is to stop, to cease. So thus, the Mashiach is bringing a stop to the battle between heaven and earth something that you see in the garden, because what, what is the thing that was said to the woman? I will put what? Enmity, a strife, a, you could say, a um, rage, you could say all kinds of um, bad influence coming from between the serpent and the seed of the woman. But who is the ultimate seed of the woman? 
Mashiach is the ultimate seed of the woman who stops the enmity between the people who come from the woman, all of humankind, and heaven. That seed of the woman is the one that heals the division, that heals the enmity between heaven and earth and brings it to completion. So then, just like what Psalm 95 reflects on, just what Hebrews is reflecting on here, with that great hope out there, that good news, why would you not decide today to enter the rest? And why would you then not want to get grafted into the thing that God has planted? Because we're obstinate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, thick, yeah, stiff-necked, thick-necked, yes. Yeah, it is, it, it, that, that's one of the, the great um, uh, Hebrew idioms that it comes, comes through pretty well. A stiff-necked people, you will not bow. You will not, um, you, you will not see anyone else as being superior to you. Because that's a whole part of what the, um, the, uh, the verb barach means, is to make oneself lower than, to, to, uh, do, um, to bow down toward. Now, that's one of the weird, <laughs> weird, but the interesting things about Hebrew is that uh, barach can be good, meaning uh, you are offering a... Um, a bowing to someone, or it can be bad, meaning it's a curse. Someone stoop, stooping to curse, or stooping to bless, or stooping to um, offer uh, your obeisance, your offer yourself to the one who is superior. That's why sometimes that word uh, barach can best be understood in context, because sometimes it can it's translated as curse. Because when you read the context of it, it's like, ah, something bad is coming through on this. So thus, it is a heaven stooping to do something bad because of a correction. All right. Any, any last? Uh, yes, Rose, as we close things out here today. I was just thinking that uh, there were six doubts and six murmurings uh, through those chapters. Yes. And uh, my thought is, if they had stayed in the, in the state of gratefulness, their outcome would have been much better than it ended up to be. Yes. And uh, as I've gotten down to uh, pretty near the end of my life, uh, I, I don't know the number of my days, but they're up there. I, get, I wake up every morning and I say, thank you, God. Those are the first words out of my mouth. And I thank him for everything, I, whether it's, whatever it is, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. I say, thank you, Lord. May there be a lesson in this today. And I'm so grateful that I have a day that, that unfolds before me, and, and, uh, and I'm just grateful. And uh, no matter what happens that day, it, it seems like I can, I can get through it. And uh, I stay really close to him all through the day, uh, just thanking him for everything. And uh, so that, that's what works for me. And I think that would have worked for them, too, if, they, if they'd have only thought about it. Yes. Yes. Uh, gratitude is certainly a wonderful practice. I mean, even in the secular world, they're talking about how gratitude is a good starting place to change your complete outlook on life. If you're just, it's a good day to have a good day. But... As, as we talked about in our last session, it's a good day to have a good day, even if you're having a bad day. And if you are indeed like the apostles were in prison, you still can sing praises. Because, hey, we are a part of what the kingdom of God is doing. Uh, yes, uh, Ben and I, go ahead, please. I just uh, wanted to just give thanks to the Lord, you know, for... Uh making that way for us you know that uh, after the fruit was eaten you know and all the strife and uh, what Adam 
had to suffer for the consequences as well. That, you know, I'm grateful that now through Yeshua, HaMashiach, the tree of life, that uh, we can come boldly before the Father once again, that we can walk with Him like in the garden once again, that we can talk with Him in the cool of the evening once again, that we can have that relationship with Him once again. I just wanted to give thanks to Him and just, just I'm grateful that uh, what He's done and, and for what He's doing and for what He's going to do. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.